Hey, it's Icaris, and I'm here to tell you about Hotcast for Podcasting. We are a podcasting studio located in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the Hot 702.5 FM studios. You can book online at hot7025fm.com. Just click on Hotcast. You can book and find your times right there. Thank you for booking with Hotcast for Podcasting. BizQuick Podcast hits on the struggles and advantages of being an entrepreneur. It's for anyone who's made the commitment to burn the boats and not look back. Are you a busy entrepreneur or small business owner trying to do it all? Then this podcast is for you. Corey and Julie will take you through the details of building a strong business. Hit the subscribe button and gear up for another episode of BizQuick Podcast. All right, welcome to BizQuick Special Edition. We've got uh, the Vegas series going on. We've got Mike Machen of Machine Studio. That's a graffiti artist supplies, custom design stickers, all sorts of stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, kind of, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we uh, have a special guest host, Mark. He is barely alive right now yep you'll probably remember him from our thanksgiving episode where he was on team cranberry with julie yes that's a whole other subject there yeah mike yeah (laughs) (laughs) say hello mark hello mark all right perfect (laughs) um so yeah this is a uh we're in las vegas and it's a special series that we're doing um where we're meeting people in person so welcome to the show mike thank you appreciate it yeah, so how are you liking? You're new to Vegas. Yeah. You just recently moved here. How are you liking it? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, it's a different pace than L.A. Um, the heat is pretty... Can I cuss? You yes. can. I, I yes, can't help can. it. It's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> it's been like 118 degrees at times, which, you know... And the air conditioner in my car is kind of on the fritz. Oh. Or my van. Oof. I drive a creep van. Awesome. Oh, sweet. Yeah, very <laughs> nice. Do you have a bag of candy in there or a puppy <laughs> no. dog or anything? Not quite that creepy, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's utilitarian, I like to say. So why'd you make the shift from Los Angeles to Vegas? Uh, well, I was trying to... I'm expanding the current business that I'm in, and as I was thinking about those expansions when I, in L.A., looking at properties and how much things cost and all this kind of stuff. It just was making less and less sense uh, as far as how much it would cost to buy, buy stuff out there, property and things like that. So I had started just looking around because I had never even, I was born and raised in Southern California. So I'd never really looked at how much shit costed outside. And as soon as I started looking at how much further your money could go, outside of of, uh, Southern California, I was like, man, I got to get out of here. So um, I was prepared to go anywhere, but I talked it over with my girlfriend and figured out where both of our businesses would work. And Las Vegas made sense for both of us. So was, I mean, I could have thrown a dart at a (laughs) map. (laughs) So so you're primarily online then? All of your business is just virtual? Uh, No, we have uh, two retail stores. Okay. So we still have, we still have a shop in San Pedro, California, which is the, it's in LA County. It's at the port of Los Angeles. So that's our first, our first shop. And then we have 
uh, retail store here as well. The, the idea was to move um, the, the e-commerce part of the business out to Vegas and you know, just kind of try to expand from here. Um, but since we already had kind of a following in L.A., made sense to keep the store there. Plus, I have a good team there, so I didn't really want to, you know, just uproot everything. Sure. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the business? Like, what is it that you sell? And if, like, we walked into your retail shop, which we're going to make that happen before we leave Vegas, like, what do you, what, what would we find there? Uh, we sell, like, graffiti art supplies. So we sell a lot of high-end spray paint, a lot of markers, sketchbooks, pens, things like that. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, and then we also have a sticker printing business. The graffiti art culture, um, stickers is a big part of it. We always have... I got a shitload in this bag right here. You know, it's like just part of the one of the aspects of it. So we I started printing stickers by hand, just screen printing, and it ended up being the highest selling product that we had. So ended up expanding that into buying uh, big plotter printers and cutters and stuff like that. So I had no idea there was high end uh, spray paint. I yeah. didn't either. I thought, I thought Rust-Oleum was the top. I mean, I still use Rust-Oleum. I mean, I'm from the 90s, so that's what we used, Rust-Oleum and Krylon. But uh, there's lots of brands. They're all imported from different different parts of the world. So there's uh, we carry we carry the main line that we carry is from Spain. So it gets imported from Spain, and they have a flagship. Or I don't know if it's their flagship store, but they have a a warehouse in LA so they ship the the stuff out from there. Okay. But the the color range is extreme. There's like a hundred and something colors and all these different shades of each. So when you see these big huge murals of like all these different colors and shades and all this stuff, generally they're using these imported spray paints. You can do that stuff with Rustoleum, but it's it's a much more limited color palette and they don't have like different shades of each color so like with the brands we carry you'll see you know nine shades of gray and they all go you know pretty much in order rust-oleum it's kind of all over the place some of the shades are gloss some are are matte so it's not really made for that kind of it's made for like you know painting lawn furniture and shit like that mm. but sure so uh, growing up in southern california in the 90s, is it safe to say that your graffiti uh, career started a little illegally? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, as a 47-year-old as a man and, and a business owner and all this stuff, I like to say that I see both sides of the fence. So, like, if somebody starts yelling, and we get this on our Instagram all the time. We have a pretty good size following now and TikTok where people will start arguing over their tax dollars being spent on graffiti cleanup and all this sort of shit. And, and I don't take a stance on one side or the other, but I will say I don't enjoy a beige city. I mean, so when I see a building that's been abandoned and it's just top to bottom colors, I personally love seeing that. I do also understand that not everybody does love seeing that, so I don't really try to take a stance like one side or the other. Well, As a 47-year-old man, I'm also not 
running around on <laughs> the not freeways out there and shit. Doing, <laughs> doing the graffiti anymore. But yeah, yeah, I would say that that's you know very I, probably most entrepreneurs have to figure out if they're going to take a stand on anything, especially now in this really like highly activated political climate, right? So you've got people who come on your on your social media following, and they're you know pretty much just trolls are looking for an argument and a debate and sometimes it's really a big challenge to make the decision of do I just ignore it and you know let the let the trolls go or do I say something or and that's do, how what made you decide that you weren't going to take a stand on it and you were just going to not address either side of it well it's mainly because I, I I can see both sides I happen to have my own personal view on it but I don't think my view is right I mean it's not right. Maybe you don't like that shit. Maybe you drive down the freeway and, and be like, I hate this. I'm not going to try to convince you. I'm not saying that you do, but I'm not going to try to convince you to think the way that I do because... You couldn't. You couldn't change his mind on yeah. it. Well, and it's stupid, I think. <laughs> you know, there's some things that maybe we could debate on, but like, I'd be happy to have a conversation with somebody about it and say, this is the way I see it. And, and when they say, well, you know, I own a business and some kid used this etch shit on my window and now I got to pay all this money to get it fixed. I, yeah, that sucks. Like, yeah. I don't want them to do that to my business either. But at the same time, I, you know, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to say about that? You know, so but at the same time, it's it's just like it's it's not something that I feel like I can take a stand on. At the same time, also, though, what our business started as was more it wasn't really a graffiti supply business in the beginning it was mainly just uh i just opened a sh uh, an empty space put a table in there with some sketchbooks and some markers and it was mainly to let the young sort of tagger vandal kids have a safe place to express themselves to try mm -hmm. to like expose them to something a little more um, constructive and we had art shows and we let them uh, display their art in our gallery and uh so that was mainly what we started doing but after a while you know you're we're paying like two thousand dollars a month in rent electric bill and all that shit my other business is supporting this they started asking you know hey do you sell any stuff you just sell supplies or whatever and, and that's where we ended up starting to make it more of a business so um, I got, I think I got a little, little off track there, <laughs> no, but the, the point was just that it, it is a positive thing, even though I, I see that the, there is destructive side to it. So we do try to encourage them to, to do positive things with it as well. Yeah. And I'd agree that, I mean, there's when it's done tastefully, yeah. Cleaning up, you know, like, like turning a Bay shitty, Bay shitty, <laughs> Bay city, um, it, yeah, that that's nice, but then you have like you know, then it's just the crap that gets spray painted on like road signs, um, you know. So, I don't know, two different sides to it, but I honestly never really thought about it until this conversation. I was just, you know, you look at graffiti, you see it, and you think, God, what are those punks doing, kids these days, right? <laughs> but you know, it is it is art, a very very um, popular form of art, and. I guess thinking about, you know, the back end of it where you're, you know, you're, you, you're giving them the supplies to make it so that it's more beautiful. Right. So, and really focusing on art in a very 
non-traditional way, I guess you could look at it. And the one thing that I do appreciate, though, is the challenge when you're driving down the road and you're like, how the hell did somebody get up there? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That was like they, they've always done that. But in the, the early 2000s is when they really started getting crazy. I mean, I was just like, you guys are out of your mind. Like I got I got offered to do some of those kind of spots. And as soon as they kind of explained what was involved, I'm like, no, I'm not that guy. Yeah, I'm not no. going to risk my life over it. I remember, so I grew up in a really, really small town, Mark and I, really small town, right? Middle of Minnesota. And um, I was always impressed when every summer somebody would figure out how to climb to the top of the water po- water tower and spray paint a giant dick and balls on it. Like, oh, that yeah. was like... <laughs> the old dick and balls. <laughs> It's a and, classic. And then somebody else from the city had to go up there and remove it. And it just always came back. It's like, nice. Yeah, that's one thing I think that politically we can all agree on. Dick and balls is hilarious. It is. It is hilarious. <laughs> Mark, are you in agreement with us? As long as it's not on my face. <laughs> it seemed like you were pretty close to getting dicks drawn on your face last night. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yes. It was a rough one. Someone was roofied. Yeah, but hey, it's Vegas. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So do you um, find, so since you're really a big creative type, right, do you find that the more business parts of running a business are a little bit more challenging or something that you like tend to outsource, or are you really good on the business side as well? Um, I'm getting better. I mean, uh I've been running my own businesses since 2002. I started this one in 2015. I did motion graphics and uh, 3D animation for TV shows, and I directed music videos and did things like that up until 2015 when I really wanted to get back into the graffiti side of stuff. Um, So I, I had some familiarity with running a business, but it was a completely different type of thing. It was, I don't know if it was, I don't know. It's hard to explain the the systems and processes that are required to run this current business are like way more complicated than than that business for for whatever reason. You would think that that motion graphics and all that stuff would be super complicated, but it's mainly learning software and knowing how to manage people. But this this whole other business of like supply chains and, mm-hmm. and all these um, SKUs. And I wasn't familiar with any of that stuff. I didn't ever work in retail. So it has been a big learning process for me. But um, I do read every day and I, I try to learn as much as I can about systems and stuff like that. So I feel like I'm pretty good at it, but I just hired an operations manager to help do those things um, and implement that stuff, you know, so it's, everything's getting way more serious, I guess you could say. Yeah. You know, you're getting big when you bring in the operations manager, right? Yeah. But it's, and it's such a key part to a business as you're scaling. It's, it's crazy. I didn't, I didn't even know what an operations manager was. I was going to ask you what were the. I was going to ask you what sort of um, traits or skills did you look for in your operations manager? I'm curious because people throw operations around in so many different ways in a business. Yeah. No, I'll be honest. I didn't. Um, I had no idea what that even was. Um, I work with a an a- advertising agency that uh, they have a business development person that I I could 
talk with. So instead of really focusing on the advertising, I've worked with him on the business development stuff. And we had a little retreat thing, like three day mastermind thing. And, and he was like, next thing you got to do is get an operations guy. And I was like, okay, what the fuck is an operations guy? What does he do? And so he really helped me figure out. He, he, he was pretty much the guy that found the guy. And he gave me candidates and we interviewed them together. And um, so I, I couldn't really tell you, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I, I know now, I mean, I, I guess I kind of know now, but um, I would probably fuck it up if I tried to explain it. <laughs> well, I, I will just say kudos to you for, well, first off, it's, it's great that you have somebody in your circle that you can, you know, rely on that heavily and trust and that they're really like giving you great guidance, but also in being completely comfortable in hiring some, so many, so many entrepreneurs get tripped up and not wanting to bring somebody into their business that might know more than they do in any given area. And really that's like the best way to like grow and scale that business is to have people. And we all know, like, you don't, you never want to be the smartest person in the room. Right. I can't relate to that. Honestly, like, I guess maybe when I was in my other business, I, I probably was... Well, actually, it's not even true because I used to hire animators. I was like, I don't want to know how all this shit works, you know? Even though I know how to animate, there's a whole nother level to somebody that just animates, you know? Yeah. So, like, you you have to bring in people that are more knowledgeable than you. And in this case, there was no chance of me scaling the business at all if I'm writing systems and packing shit and work in the counter like how do you do that <laughs> it's not it's not possible so now i'm trying to get it to where i do the creative stuff and the making content and the things that i know that i'm good at yeah you know well and one of the things that i mean most small business owners learn the hard way is uh that it it, it pays to pay people oh like, yeah like, like getting people to do the work that you shouldn't be doing or you don't want to do I mean, uh, talk to so many people who are like, oh, if I had only just hired an admin, you know, five years ago, my life would have been whatever. It's like the, because they're staying up late and they they're, think they're saving money, but they're just you know, costing them, you know, time. Yeah once, you, yeah, once you think about how much your time is worth or how much you could make, that's what I, that's the question I ask myself all the time. I'm like putting labels on markers <laughs> and I'm like, can I just pay a fucking kid yeah. 10 bucks an hour to do this? And then I can do stuff that's going to make the company who knows how much money. Sure. You never know what a video is going to go viral or whatever. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. We've had videos go viral and we could not keep up with the amount of product that, that was coming in. The, my phone had, I had to turn the ding notification off because it was dinging several times a minute and it was driving me insane. <laughs> but you never know when stuff like that's going to happen. So right. if I take myself out of the game, labeling shit and doing that kind of thing, th those opportunities don't, they don't happen, you know? Yep. So. That's a very, very um, like big thinking mindset, right? If I know that I, I, there's someone else who can do the small tasks, like putting the labels on the markers or, you know, restocking or fulfilling orders. We always, any any entrepreneur that we work with, so one of the most common things that we, we do, Mike, is we help people launch new businesses. And when it's a product-based business that they're launching, almost always their first place that they think they're the, the best way to save money and time for some reason is to do their own fulfillment. And we're always like, you are going to fucking regret that choice <laughs> yeah. so quickly. Like, and you, you know, and, but they're like, well, I don't want to pay somebody to do it. And I was like, okay, 
Well, you're going to hate it. Like we did fulfillment on our own book when we did a pre-sale on it. And I'm telling you, it was like, we got to get out of this business. Like we can't. Like, it was awful. It's terrible. <laughs> so you guys literally packed them and shipped them? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not a good time. No. no. I no, still have to do it on the weekends. Like we're, we're not quite to the point. We're like, we scaled to a real scary place, you know, where money's going out, money's coming in. It's. Yeah. So I'm not really to the point where I feel comfortable bringing in somebody. So I still have to do some of that stuff. But I, as soon as I can, I'm not doing any of that shit anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. And did you tell your operations manager that that was the first thing that you wanted to have? He's more telling me. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, we got to get a, you know, this guy or this girl, all these kind of things. And I'm like, okay. But like when we're doing our school, we, we have the EOS system. Yeah. Uh, so we're doing that weekly scorecard, I'm like, that shit is scaring the shit out of me. Like, sometimes really? it's slightly negative, sometimes it's slightly positive. Like, I, I like seeing that because yeah. it's a lot less scary seeing this is where we're at than just guessing. Like, right, knowing. I think we're probably okay looking at the fucking OPEX bank account. <laughs> I, I this that, that just made me cringe. <laughs> I think we're okay when it comes to numbers. Yeah, like, I, I've never been. Yeah, I've never been good at that stuff. I still wouldn't say that I am, but sure. like we're the operations guy has been, uh, you know, key. And I told him, read the book Traction. We're going to implement this system, and I need you to help me do that. Yeah, I've read it and I've listened to the audio book seventeen times, and I, I don't know, man. What do we do? How do we do it? You know, even though it tells you how to do it. So he's been taking the ball and, and running with that. That's fantastic. So, That's good. Yeah. It's, it's been, I know we're, you know, as they say, planting seeds for later. So, you know, we're at the waiting for it to come out of the ground. Sure. But the, the growing pains that you go through are also exciting and fun, right? They're hard and you're like, Oh my God. But as you're going through it and you're, you have to, you know, figure out like, you know, more efficient ways to do things, or if you're going to outsource something or new systems to, to implement, to, you know, make things, you know, run smoother or, or get, you know, more revenue in the door, or higher, increase your profit margin. All of those things are so much fun when you look back on them and you're like, God, that was really cool. But it's also, it's also not terrible post failure, right? So you go through it and you hit a failure and you're like, uh, that sucks. But you can you can pivot and recover from it really quickly when you're a small business and and learn a ton from it. Well, we know that didn't work, so let's tweak it one degree this way and see what happens next, right? So, we're doing that a lot with our copy, right? Our sales copy, trying to figure out like, okay, what's the you know that irresistible offer that people will be like, yes, I need this in my life, and it's been kind of fun because we're like, it's just us. We can write anything we want, whatever shit we want to put on the page. And we'll know when it's the exact right thing because people will buy, buy, buy. And then we're just kind of, you know, messing around with it, thinking we'll see when we get there. Yeah. I just finished listening to that book, Hook Point. It's kind of like talking about just that that kind of stuff. And those are the kind of things that I'm going to try to figure out, like exactly what you're saying. Like what, what do you say to somebody that makes them stop scrolling or what do you show them? You know, there's, there's all kinds of cool things. and But – to your point about the the failures and learning from them, the Marcus Anderson, uh, have you listened to his podcast, the Octa Non Verba? He he's I, I learned such a key thing from him when he said, like, if you're doing this gratitude like 
being grateful for all the shit that's easy to be grateful for, all the stuff that's going well. I can't remember what he called it. I, I don't want to misquote him, but I think it was something like bullshit, easy gratitude or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, he said, you need to be grateful for the things that are hard and be grateful for the adversity. So I've been doing that in the morning because I wake up at three o'clock in the morning stressed out almost every day. And and so like, but when I wake up, I, I remind myself like, this, this is awesome. Like, I'm grateful that all this shit's happening because like, as long as I don't stress myself out and to get a heart attack or something crazy like that, I'm going to grow a lot from this, you know? So like being grateful for that those things that are tough the challenges and, and the yeah. that yeah. sucks you know and, and that's i mean everybody they look at entrepreneurs and they're like oh you've got this figured out you figured out and it's like no like it's a series of mistakes i don't know what i'm doing but I'm, wait you I, don't know what you're doing no no, no <laughs> oh jesus he's in charge of the finances yeah. for us by the way oh shit <laughs> <laughs> but but Very yeah important. It, yeah it's it, it's all just like i mean you you learn yeah. you make mistakes and you learn that's that's yeah. business that is business. And you just have to, you have to be really okay with that. And, you know, if you're partnered up with somebody, you have to, they have to have a similar mindset. So, but yeah. it works well. Um, we have to wrap up, wrap it up. Uh, so can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you? Um, you can go to at machine studio, either on Instagram or TikTok. We do a lot of content there. I have a podcast called the graffiti machine podcast. And, um, our website, machinestudio.com. Great. Um, well, thanks for heading over here, and thanks to our listeners, and thanks to Hot 72.5, which is the building we're in right now. I don't know. I forgot the name of it, but that yeah. sounds right. That That's sounds correct. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you can get all of that information. is going to be in our show notes. And if you want to work with us, uh, you can find out everything you need to find out on our website. Yeah, we still, we have to fix this out. I know. It's it so sucks. backwards. But you can connect with us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we have a YouTube channel. You can also reach out to us on sbpace.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, like us, give us a review, download uh, episodes, all of that. Subscribe, helps. yeah. I said subscribe. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Reach out to us if you have any topics that you want us to cover as well. Yes, yes. Also, we wrote a book. It's called Seriously, Now What? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. It is a number one bestseller on Amazon. It has a digital download workbook that walks you through all types of exercises. And if you already have bought the book, go back and rate and review it, please. And that is it for this show. I'm Corey. I'm Julie. I'm Mark. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America.